Neither snow, nor rain, nor heat, nor gloom of night stays these couriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. To whom does that refer? It refers to the mailman. But an article in 2010 in Time Magazine by Francis Romero said, in part, Forget rain or gloom of night. It's the act of clicking send billions of times a day that may finally stay these trusted couriers. Communication has changed. We can click send and send something immediately rather than writing something and put it in an envelope and putting a stamp on it. And the Evidence of that is being felt and seen, the consequences of such action by the Postal Service even today in terms of loss of revenue and some changes that are coming as a result of the changes in communication. Communication has changed. It has changed dramatically over the years. But what about God's communication with man? In Bible class this morning, we alluded to the fact as we studied the book of Acts that uh, God appeared, the Lord appeared to Paul and directly communicated certain things to him. And as we noted, the writer of Hebrews said, God who at sundry times or at various times in various ways spoke in time fast by the fathers to the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. Very much indicative of the change in which God has dealt with man through the ages in the past directly also through Moses and the law, through the prophets, through Jesus Christ, through the apostles and inspired persons, and through the New Testament, the final depository of God's will for mankind. And through gospel preaching and personal Bible studies, obviously God communicates. But in each case, that's the point. It is God who is communicating with man. While we still have mailmen, I want to draw some analogies between the mailman, with whom we've been familiar over the years and still are, and God's mailman, the one who speaks for God. I believe there are many lessons that we may learn from the mailman about God's way of communicating with us. Think about them with me for a few moments this morning. First of all, the mailman can deliver only that which was mailed. He's only going to deliver that which was mailed. You might say to your mailman on one occasion, do you have a letter for me today from the president? And what would be his likely response? Well, when he writes to you, I will. If he writes, I'll bring it. Or why did you bring me this bill? The answer would be, obviously, someone mailed it to you. And that's why I've delivered it. Or to the mailman, did you bring me a check today for a million dollars? When someone mails you that check, I will. We understand that. But do we understand today, as we should, that the gospel is the only word we have from God and that there is nothing more and nothing less and that we cannot find anything from God anywhere else? 
I wish we understood that as well as we understand the principles we've just outlined about delivering the mail, the physical mail. The mailman delivers only, only that which has been mailed. The gospel is all we have. We're not going to find anything from God anywhere else. Though there are myriads of people who are looking for something from God in all sorts of places and tragically, mistakenly believing that they have actually received something from God in some way other than through the final written word of God. There are those who dislike what they find in that final written word and so they look for some additional word. And there's an entire religion based upon another revelation from Jesus Christ. There is no other revelation from Jesus Christ. This is it. This is it. There are those who look for some other word about baptism, despite what Jesus clearly said in Mark 16, 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. There are those who look for another word from somewhere, somehow, about the church that will offset what the Scripture says about the singularity of the church. The identification of the church as being the body and the identification of that body as being singular in nature. Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. He put all things under his feet, Christ's feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. There is one body and one spirit, just as you're called in one hope of your calling, Ephesians 4, verse 4. And yet, there are those who are looking for some other word, some additional word, other than this, that will enable them to embrace churches, plural, religions, plural. There are those who look for an additional word about marriage and divorce and remarriage, despite what Matthew 19.9 says. There are those who look for salvation somewhere outside the body of Christ, the church, despite the fact that Paul affirms in that same Ephesian letter from which we've just quoted in Ephesians 5.23 that the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. The body is the church, Christ is its head, and he is the savior of that body. Not a denomination among denominations, but rather the pre-denominational body of believers. So clearly set forth for us in the written word. And there are those who are looking for someone with another answer. They want another answer. But there is nothing else available outside this book. Nothing else available. I don't see why. I don't see why. I don't see why. Those words so often form the beginning of many statements that amount to objections to truth. Well, I just don't see why. I don't see why it's necessary to be baptized to be saved. I don't see why one would contend for, for the one predenominational body. I don't see why this has to be this way, but the preacher or elders cannot offer another word that God has not sent. No one can offer you another word other than what God has already sent. 
You remember in Acts 2.16 on the first Pentecost there, following the resurrection and ascension of Christ, when the church of Christ was brought into existence here on earth with some 3,000 souls rendering obedience to the gospel, and as those events began to unfold, what did Peter say about those events? He said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, alluding to Joel 2, 28-32. This is that. It's not about it. It's not similar to what Joel talked about. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is it. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 6, Paul instructed that young preacher in the following way. He said, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the word of faith and of the good doctrine which you have, notice it, carefully followed. Doesn't that strongly suggest that there is a specific doctrine that is good? If there's a good doctrine, there has to be a bad doctrine. Otherwise, Paul would have had no reason to refer to a good doctrine. And beyond that, this text tells us that it's vitally important that we carefully follow the good doctrine. Not carelessly follow, but carefully follow it. 1 Timothy 4.11, he says, These things command and teach. Nothing more. Nothing more. It's not complicated. It's not complicated. The mailman cannot deliver anything that hasn't been written. And God's mailman cannot deliver anything that has not been written. But beyond that, the mailman cannot change that which is written. Have you ever had your mailman offer to cancel your debts? Ever had the mailman present to you what was obviously a bill and say, wait a minute, this is a bill and I know you don't want this, so we'll just take care of this. Be nice if the mailman would pay your debts or could take care of it, but obviously it is not going to happen, even if you ask him to do so. And yet there are some who expect as much from those who teach them the Word of God. Again, Mark 16, 16 says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. And yet there are those who want God's mailmen, as it were, to tell them something different, and there are a great many who claim to be God's mailmen who are doing just that tragically, and have done just that. And so they play with Mark 16, 16 by saying something like, well, yes, I know it says he who believes and is baptized will be saved. But then Jesus went on to say, and he who does not believe will be condemned. He didn't say, but he who does not believe and is not baptized will be condemned. He simply added, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And I've said before, I'm so glad he didn't say that, because the Lord never said anything that was nonsensical. And had he said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe and is not baptized will not be saved, that would have been redundant to say the least, if not completely nonsensical. Why? Because if one will not believe, baptism is of absolutely no value to him. The Lord didn't need to say, and he who does not believe and is not baptized, if he does not believe, baptism is useless and fruitless. And even if he underwent baptism, it'd just be getting wet, not accomplishing what is accomplished in baptism, and that's the blood of Jesus being applied to the penitent sinner who has confessed and is baptized. But these shall go away into everlasting punishment, 
And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Matthew 25, 46, the conclusion of the Lord's depiction of the judgment scene. Where those on the left will go away into everlasting punishment, but those on the right, those who are proved of God into eternal life. Everlasting and eternal are the exact same words in the original. Everlasting means eternal, eternal means everlasting. And yet they are those who want another word on that. What they want is eternal heaven, but not eternal hell. Hell is not eternal according to some, heaven is. But the same passage that speaks of both in exactly the same way makes one just as long-lasting as the other. And I cannot change that. Despite what, from a human perspective, I might want to do, or you might want to do, we cannot change those words. The late guy in Woods was asked once, would you explain... Matthew 19, 9. And how did he respond? He responded in this way. He said, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. He may have quoted the King James rather than the New King James, probably did, or the American Standard, as Brother Woods wanted uh, liked to use. He just cited the verse. And the questioner again said, no, no, you didn't understand me, Brother Woods. I want you to explain the verse, not just read the verse. And he repeated it again, is what I was told occurred on that occasion. And his point ultimately was, reading it does explain it, because it's quite clear as to what the Lord was teaching. But many want another answer. And there are those who want to be soothed in their sin. Remember what Jeremiah had to say about that concerning the people of his day. In Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 14, they have also healed the hurt of my people, God says through the prophet, slightly. They have also healed the hurt of my people slightly. How so, Lord? saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. It's one thing to say there is peace, but if peace doesn't really exist, what good does it do to say it? But yet people today want to be relieved from their obligations. The mailman can't change what is written to you. And God's mailman can't change what God has written. That leads to our next point, and that is this. The mailman is unfaithful if he does not deliver the mail. He cannot be considered a faithful courier unless he delivers the mail. If he doesn't deliver the mail, he is unfaithful. Does the postman deliver the mail only when he feels like it? And does he deliver only the mail that he feels like delivering? It's been extremely hot lately, and I saw a story just recently on TV where they were interviewing a postal worker. And I didn't catch a lot of the interview, pay a lot of attention to it, but I don't recall her saying, and it was a female, I don't recall her saying, yeah, it's been so hot that I, I haven't delivered the mail for days. <laughs> no, that's not what you hear, is it? What I do remember her saying was, we do take some breaks every now and then, get into some place where it's cool, 
to be able to cool off a little bit, and then what? We're back at it again, back at it again. And so the mailman doesn't deliver just what he wants to deliver. He's unfaithful if he does not deliver all the mails. He, uh, the mail, he doesn't keep your bills. In Galatians 4.16, Paul asked the Galatians in that letter, Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? That's an excellent question, isn't it? Is God's mailman your enemy because he tells you the truth? No, he's your greatest friend that you could possibly have if he tells you the truth. And he becomes your greatest enemy the moment he fails to tell you the truth. He should do it compassionately, but he must do it. And the reception of the message should not be decided by whether or not I like to hear it. The question should be, is this truth? If this is truth, I need to hear it. I need to hear it. And we need to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, as Christians, as preachers, as elders, as deacons, as members of the body of Christ, in presenting that word in the most effective way possible, and certainly not doing anything to alienate someone before we have an opportunity to reach them. But we dare not dare not shun to declare the whole counsel of God. But there, there are those who don't like to hear the truth about various things. They don't like to hear the truth about worship and a specific pattern for worship. And the thrust of this lesson is not to go into all the acts of worship and to give biblical justification for them. But certainly there is biblical justification for singing and singing only as we've engaged in here. They don't like to hear a word about mechanical instruments of music and worship, and tragically many in the church have, have not liked hearing it to the point that they have now introduced it in places. Many do not like to hear the truth about sin in the congregation and what needs to be done lovingly but determinately about sin in the congregation with determination but with compassion, sin in the congregation has to be addressed. There are those who don't want to hear anything hard or negative as they view it. They don't want to hear anything about the limitations of fellowship and the fact that we simply cannot open the arms of fellowship, as it were, to anyone and everyone. And yet that is not popular in the world in which we live today. Pluralism is rampant. Ecumenism has gone to seed in the country in which we live. And I've mentioned the bumper sticker that I've seen twice now on the back of a vehicle which said, God is just too big for one religion. God is too big for one religion. That's what's popular today. Inclusiveness, not exclusiveness. But despite what is popular, God's mailman cannot change what God has sent. Another point we need to appreciate is that we don't take the mailman's word for the contents of the message. Someone who claims to be God's mailman and is bringing you a message, don't simply take his word for the contents. Mailman could show up at your door and say, I've got your power bill here and it's $4,000 this month. And that'll get your attention, but I dare say you'll want to open it real quickly, won't you? Or if he says a rich uncle left you a million dollars, you won't just take his word for it. Or you've been fired, you won't take his word for it. 
or your whole family has perished. No, you won't take his word for it. You want to see the documentation. You want to open it and read it for yourself. These were no, more noble than those in Thessalonica, remember? In that they searched the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Those Bereans. And that's what we must do. What does the letter say? That's what we want to know from the mailman. Is it from a credible source? What facts are there to back up the information? By the same token, what does the Bible say? It's not the preacher. It's not parents. It's not friends. It's not feelings. It's not opinions. It has to be what the Word of God says. That must be my determination to know what the Word of God says. And yet many religious people, as you well know, never investigate the Word of God for themselves. They're perfectly content to take what some preacher tells them. And members of the church many times are far too willing to simply take what someone tells them. But it's not opinion. It's not feelings. It has to be a thus saith the Lord. How many times do you hear someone say, the Bible says such and such, therefore I know social drinking is okay. I can read it. No, you can't. You can't. Or the Bible says such and such, so I know the mechanical instrument of music is acceptable to God in worship. No, you can't read that. Some may, someone may try to tell you that you can reason that that it's okay, but you can't read that and draw a valid conclusion from that. But you know something else we need to consider is that the mailman is not the sender. And that's why you can't take his word alone. The mailman who brings you the mail is not the sender. If I get a letter, if I'm away and I get a letter from my wife, that doesn't make the mailman my wife. Obviously, he's the one who delivered it. He is not the sender. And the preacher is not God. And no preacher has the right to replace God's Word with his own. And no one has the right to allow the preacher to do that. And yet it's happening in location after location. And then also, we need to appreciate that the rejection of a message does not change it or make it go away. Go back to your bills the mailman may bring you. If you never open it and you throw it directly into the trash can, that does not make that bill go away, the debt. It's still there, isn't it? The gospel is always right. Always right. No matter who rejects it, no matter who resists it, it's always right. You remember what Paul said to those Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 as he rehearsed his work among them? In Acts 20, verse 26, he reminded them that I'm innocent from the blood of all men. Why, Paul? Because he said, for I've not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. That was his determination to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And as Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 wrote about that word, he talked about the word that lives and abides forever. 
It endures forever. The word of the gospel that was preached to those to whom Peter preached it and to whom he still preaches it through this word today. That same word will live forever. On the last day, it'll be here. It'll be here. And it will judge us. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my words will by no means pass away. Matthew 24, 35. We cannot hide from God. There's no way to do it. We are accountable. And our final point, as we analogize the mailman to God's mailman, is this. When we reject the mail, we reject the sender, not the mailman. You're not rejecting the mailman when you reject the mail. You're rejecting the one who sent it. And so, if you refuse that bill when it comes, you're not rejecting the mailman, you're rejecting the one who sent the bill. You remember what Samuel was so upset about long ago about the people's clamor for a king to be like the nations round about them? They weren't content to have God as their king. They wanted to be like the nations round about them. And that mentality has gotten man in trouble from the beginning of time until this very moment in time. But what did the Lord say to Samuel about that in 1 Samuel 8 and verse 7? The Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you. In other words, they're determined they're going to do this, and I'm going to let them go. But he added, For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. It wasn't the messenger they had rejected. It was the sender. They had rejected God. And Jesus in Matthew 10 verse 40 said, He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. That's where it all gets back to. You reject this and it gets you back to the God who authored it. He's the one that sent it, isn't he? And you're not rejecting Man, when you reject the gospel, you're rejecting God. Yeah, we can learn some lessons, I believe, from the mailman. He brings a variety of things. Some of it we like, some of it we dislike. Some of it we even call what? Junk mail. We get a lot of junk mail. But I'll assure you of this. You haven't gotten any junk mail from God. God hasn't sent any junk mail. Mail from God is always important. Don't throw it aside. Don't throw it aside. Don't treat it casually because He has communicated because He cares. And He did not leave us lost and He did not leave us without hope. And He wants us to know that. And when we realize that, then if we're thinking straight, our lives will respond to that message. That message of the greatest love that has ever been manifested to mankind. In the giving, not only of His only begotten Son, obviously to make possible our redemption, 
but then to give us the terms of redemption through his son in his written revelation. How will you respond to it this morning? Will you believe with all of your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? That's what, that's what this tells you that you must do. Unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. John eight twenty four. Will you repent? That means to change your mind about where you are and then change your life in accordance with that change of mind. Again, Jesus said, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Luke 13, 3. And again at verse 5. Will you confess Jesus with your lips to be the Christ and then leave here living that confession out in your lives? Because Jesus said, if you will confess me before men, I will confess you before the Father in heaven, Matthew 10, 32. He added, but if you deny me, I will deny you, Matthew 10, 32 and 33. And we've already seen what the Lord said so clearly and succinctly in Mark 16, 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. If we had no other statement in Scripture other than that one, that would be sufficient. But we have so many other precepts and beautiful examples of those who were converted, whose conversion culminated in being buried in water, where not the water, but the blood of Christ cleansed them from their sins because that's what God has determined to do, that is to apply the blood of His Son in that burial. And if you have enough faith to be buried, then you can express that faith in the operation of God that He will carry that operation through by forgiving you through the blood of His Son. But He will not forgive you one step prior to that burial, but only in that burial. And as you come forth, you come forth to walk in newness of life. And you can say, but I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't understand why. I don't see. You can say that until the Lord comes again or until you die. And it will not change what the Lord has said in His Word. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. And those who do rise to walk in newness of life, and they do not rise to walk to seek the church of their choice, with which they will be most comfortable. They rise to walk in newness of life, having been added to the church for which Jesus shed His blood again, as this book so clearly and completely declares. And you can be a part of that pre-denominational body upon sweet, simple obedience to the gospel as we've just outlined it from this book, the only book you'll ever, ever need. And that's a good thing because it's the only one you'll ever have that has God's will for your life in it. If you need to come home to that word as one who's wandered, who's not been faithful, this book tells you you come home in repentance. Not to be baptized again if you've been properly baptized, but to repent and to confess simply before this audience and before the God of heaven, I have sinned. And we'll pray with you and for you to the God who loves you and has expressed that love in His Word. And you can leave here once again knowing, knowing that you can be God's mailman as it were, as you go out and tell others 
their need to comply with his message. As we stand to sing, will you come?